the word intent is actually included in letter of intent, which is the LOI. And what it means in that context is that based on what you are presenting to me and assuming that is true, I am interested in acquiring these assets. And my, my, my intention is to acquire these assets for this many dollars at these terms. Welcome to Intentional Growth, a show that teaches you as a business owner and entrepreneur to view and run your company like a financial asset, which will allow you to enjoy work, create wealth, and make an impact. This mindset will help you focus on building a more valuable business and give you the choices to grow, acquire, reinvest, or exit and live the life you plan for, all with intention. And now here's your host, Ryan Tansom. Welcome back, everybody. I am very excited to continue the mini-series that we're in through the eyes of a business buyer. If you are just jumping into the mini-series, we are on episode, I think it is six out of eight, where we're interviewing different business buyers and they're understanding their mindset, their motives, what they plan on doing with companies, why they're buying companies. And we've covered everything from family offices to private equity firms. And today we are going to be unpacking this term called acquisition entrepreneur. And there's a lot of different flavors of them from search funds to wealthy individuals to smaller privately held companies. And I couldn't think of anybody better to have on the show than my dear friend, Walker Dybel, who wrote the book, Buy Then Build, and really coined the term acquisition entrepreneurs. He's been teaching at universities about uh, this strategy of acquisition entrepreneurs going out and finding capital and finding companies and how the matchmaking works. We unpack why they're buying companies, what their purposes are behind them, what they're planning on doing with them, deal structures, a lot of different technical stuff to really give everybody an understanding of this new business buyer that has really spawned and grown exponentially over the last five years. And my favorite part about the episode is Walker does not take himself too seriously. And the banter and sarcasm that we had went back and forth. Um, I really enjoyed. So I hope everybody else did as well. And Walker, he gives a little bit of his bio and his background from buying a bunch of companies, being a broker, a bunch of professional certifications, the book, he'll, he'll uh, lay it all out. And again, he's the, the, the man behind the, t- the coined term acquisition entrepreneur. So I really hope you enjoy this episode with Walker. And the only final announcement I would say is that if you have not looked and checked out the Intentional Growth Bootcamp that's coming up in Minnesota on November 2nd and 3rd at Bethel University, go do so. We've got 17 of the 20 spots filled, so there's three left. And I'm very excited to be back in person. And again, if you want to check out the agenda and learn how to run and view your company as a financial asset, how valuations work, how exits work, how deal structures, how strategic planning and finance, all that stuff is all tied and wrapped underneath the five principles. Go check out the agenda at arcona.io and get registered before the spots get filled up. Thanks, everybody, for uh, tuning in. I really hope you enjoy this interview with Walker Dybel. You ever found yourself in your office after an executive meeting and you're sitting there going, I have huge decisions to make, whether it's hiring that next key employee, buying that next piece of machinery, buying a building, launching a location or product or whatever it might be. And you're sitting there going, is this the right decision? And then you think back about the original vision you had when you started the business or the vision you have right now that you know is possible in the marketplace. And you sit there and go, how do you know and how do I know that what I'm doing is the right 
thing when realistically you have the option to just take all the money home and solve for annual cash flow and essentially just have a job that's kicking out a lot of cash. The reason that you would do all those things is because you want to grow a company that's worth a bunch of money that gives you the freedom of choices to do what you want long term. Whether that's take a back seat and be a passive investor, whether that's sell part of it or some of it, essentially just have as many choices as you want. But what we find is that most times entrepreneurs and business owners are solving for annual cash flow because they don't know how to measure and monitor the value of the business and where they are today and how what they're investing and doing is growing a more valuable business and how to measure that into the future. And I had experienced the exact same thing. I ran a family business that was doing 20 million in revenue, 100 and some employees. And my dad and I had this constant conversation back and forth about what we should be doing and where we should be going, but we never really knew whether what we were spending our time and money on was making us progress towards that eventual goal of having a valuation that we wanted that gave us the choices. So then you have to sit there and go, maybe I should just take the money home or I should just hope and pray. That is exactly why we created this financial assessment because if you organize your financials in a certain way, and we have this financial foundation with four components, you take this assessment, it's 22 questions, you don't need your financials, and at the end result of it, there's a results page where Pat, my partner, and I walk through five videos to show you a case study of what good looks like and how to actually project out the future value of the company and how you can make the, the decision's clear today to say, if I do these things, what's the impact on cash flow today, my ability to fund my growth, take the distributions, pay for taxes, all while staying in line, progressing towards the valuation that I want. So go take the assessment below and I hope you enjoy. What's up, Walker? What's up, man? How you doing, Ryan? <laughs> I was just saying, I'm so excited, man. Like I was thinking about like, when I when you and I did the last interview four years ago, I forgot to do the intro and I had to do the intro after a very long holiday party with a bunch of YEC entrepreneurs. <laughs> and I had to get up at like six and do the recording in the basement with like a like a blanket over my head so that way it sounded quiet. So I very much remember the last time you were on the podcast because of because of, of how ridiculous I had to do that intro. But I will I was digressing. Let's uh, start with the, the people not familiar with your background. I mean, you got the buy then build book out. You've kind of been creating this category of an acquisition entrepreneur, but why don't you just kind of give us the cliff note bio to how you got to where you are today and, and what you're doing. You know, I, I you know, I, I kind of joke that that I basically started acquiring existing businesses because I'm a terrible entrepreneur, right? Like like <laughs> like I, I tried to start a, 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 a business and, and it was going really well, completely failed. Next time you know, got into a top 10 accelerator, you know, recruited a Microsoft executive to be the CEO, oversubscribed the capital raise. And 18 months later, we were totally out of cash. Like every, every single time I was trying to start from scratch, like it just ended, you know, in flames. And the thing is, is when we go into this, uh, we, we know that, that it's like, you know, tough, right? Like we're sort of, but, but there's kind of like a Han Solo moment where you're like, don't tell me the odds, you know, but like, I just look at the numbers. I'm like, Startups are like punishment for people that don't understand statistics, right? And, I was, and, I'm, and I'm here in St. Louis, okay? I'm here in, in St. Louis and I'm looking around and I'm like, I don't live in Silicon Valley. Like all of the people who live on like the expensive houses in town, like they just own like, you know, like six subways or, or like this little, you know, like, like, you know, manufacturing plant that makes, you know, like circuit breakers yeah yeah whatever it is like like it's just like you know like like things like you know like listerine come from st louis like like really like you know you know just like you know so i was like you know 
there's got to be a way to like, I know I can like get a bank loan to like buy an existing company. I just don't know how to do it. Right. So in 2004, I went out and tried to buy my first company. It took me until 2006. Okay. Then I ran a company for seven years, had an exit, uh, used all the cash to go out and buy six more companies. So between 2006 and 2016, uh, during that 10 year stint, I actually acquired seven companies. And then during that time, kind of similar to you, like I just wanted to get really smart about the private capital markets because like your MBA does not tell you anything about this like sub $25 million private capital mm-hmm. market. So, you know, along the way, I became a um, certified M&A advisor, certified M&A professional, M&A master intermediary, exit certified exit planning advisor, just all the things, right? Mm-hmm. And, and mm-hmm. in a way to try to be like, how do I understand my blind spots and what I don't know? And um, along the way, I kind of started getting uh, recruited. I proactively reached out to Quiet Light, where I, I still work, I guess you could say part-time, just to stay involved in transactions that I'm not acquiring or selling. Um, and then, um, of course, I do a lot of investing and deal in, in businesses that I'm not operating. So currently, I run also a coaching program called the Acquisition Lab. We've got about 300 buyers that we try to help, you know, help find and buy a business. And the, and the point is, is that... I was doing the numbers the other day and I realized I just passed a hundred transactions, either myself or no consulting. Way. Yeah. Congratulations, and I was like, oh, man. That's kind of like a, you know, a milestone or whatever. Yeah. Heck yeah. So, and I, I didn't mention buy then build. So I, so I spent four and a half years kind of writing buy then build as I was going through this. Mm-hmm. Um, I went through like six drafts and um, launched that in 2018. And it was so sales were okay until I was on this podcast. And then because I was on this podcast, sales blew Boom. up. And yeah, no, was it. there you go. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and yeah. Let me guess, you haven't even written a review for us. No, I'm just kidding. I <laughs> uh, like, love it. That's we, awesome, man. We'll, we'll like, seriously, we'll like meet somebody and they'll be like, oh my God, you know, or whatever. And my kids are like, dad, are you famous? And I'm like, I'm really, really famous to a really small group of people. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. The, it's the goldfish in the little pond. I love it, man. No, it, but it's uh, honestly, man, like I'm trying to think and, and we're, we're going to unpack a lot of this, but like, I, I think it's so fascinating watching your growth and it's, it, it's the way you even talk about it in the last couple of chapters or the last chapter of the book. Right. And you're like, you know, there was the thinking or it was the uh, Robert Kiyosaki, the uh, rich dad, poor dad. A lot of real estate over the years, and that makes a lot of sense as real estate's boomed for the last 30 some years. But like these companies, and you're talking about it, and you're like, this is ridiculous, this opportunity. But I've watched the wave because you started, you know, talking about this category and not, I mean, I handed your book out, I don't know, to how many people. And then all of a sudden, it's like now there's search funds. It, the, the amount of chatter around this has exponentially grown, but you were easily at the forefront of that and not just some BS thought leader that's talking about what should be done. You, you have gone through the hard stuff. Uh, you and I yeah. covered that on the last one. And I think it's just super fascinating that you figure out a way to help educate the market. Cause like, there's just, I don't know if like mathematically you talk about stats, the amount of baby boomers that are going to be transitioning. I don't know if there's enough buyers, period. Like you're going to, there's going to have to be. If you run the numbers, there's not enough buyers. I mean, it uh-huh. doesn't feel like that. Right. I mean, but right. yeah, I mean, there's there's um, baby boomers on more companies than any other generation in history. And they all need to retire by the end of the decade. It's, you know, the number is 10 trillion dollars in business value. And, mm-hmm. you know, it's it's like 96 percent of them are, you know, sub twenty five million dollar company. Right. Which which and you think about what and this is as we kind of get into go for, go for it. 
No, I was going to say it's more like 98.5% is less than sub-25 million. Sorry, I my numbers wrong there. But no, yeah. it is ridiculous. I talk about the stats all the time from the U.S. Census Bureau. We're like, out of the uh, 6 million privately held companies, they employ like 100, 120 million Americans and like 5.6 million of those companies are sub-5 million. So, Ryan, no one's ever said this, okay? No one's ever said this, but I have a, I have a theory, which is, think about this for a minute. Like the, like the big driver, the, the little thing that made the big difference, okay, in the last like five, six years is that is the SBA changed uh, what they were funding and at, at what levels, okay? And they basically said, look, banks, we're going to allow Ryan and Walker here to go out and acquire whatever business they want. As long as they give us a personal guarantee, we don't care about the collateral. We don't care what the balance sheet looks like. That's their call. We're just going to fund it. Okay. The SBA, the SBA is a federal government, a, a, um, you know, it's not yeah, a it's an or agency in the government. Yeah. It's, agency, federal, right? it's like Fannie Fa- yeah. Mae, Freddie Mac, right? Like where they're, they're helping deploy the capital to get but it like, up. But like, why on earth? Would the government get involved with like small acquisitions? And the answer is because it's like it's like forty nine percent of the entire economy is owned by these baby boomer owned businesses. It's right? not all Peloton and Apple Walker. Come on, man. <laughs> I know but it's so crazy. You're right. No, I agree mm-hmm. with you, man. And, yeah. and the, the 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 banks guarantee or the the SBA guarantees what is it seventy percent of the loan or something? Like it's something so ridiculous where it should make it pretty easy yeah to, I mean, it, cha- it, cha- it changes in the background i think i think it's 75 percent of the collateral to the banks right okay so, okay yeah. anyway so let's let's dive into what is an acquisition entrepreneur and there's a lot of different flavors so I, we can kind of take this in a couple different routes and I'll, I'll keep us on track hopefully is that under like, maybe talk about the different flavors and then we'll talk about like how they're finding the companies what they want from them and how yep. that kind of how the overall process works but let's start with kind of like the flavors of acquisition entrepreneurs Love it. Okay. So at the macro level, there's sort of like three categories. Okay. And the first one would be, you know, sort of, you know, buy then build was sort of the introduction of, hey, we know that like companies out there sort of grow through acquisition. Okay. But maybe instead of starting from scratch, you can just like leave your corporate job and go buy a business so that you have your own asset that you're in control of that you get to own. Okay. Mm-hmm. And so acquisition entrepreneurship at the most fundamental level is really just saying like an individual who's looking to buy a company to own and operate, okay? Mm -hmm. So anyone who's listening to this that's a potential seller, right? That means you're an operator and they're basically just trying to get out of corporate America and become you, right? Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. they don't have the, you know, the kahunas to start from scratch or they've got the golden handcuffs and they, you know, they need cash flow or whatever their reasoning Mm -hmm. is ownership can i add a little a little commentary on that too because like when i because yeah. I, I would tell everybody that i'm always having to describe your your category that you've created because not a lot of people understand i'm like in minnesota we've got 19 public companies and always like the 3m or best buy or target exec that's like hey i either got my 401k i got some money and they're what they want to go buy a business but one thing that what we continuously talk about is there's the job which is the w2 payroll and then there's mm-hmm. the asset and this person is essentially wanting to do both at the same time to get right. in there and have the have the job and grow that asset. I, I call it active investing. You know, I mean, I mean, like passive investing is the thing that gets all the click. You know, all the clickbait <laughs> on, on yeah, Facebook. Yeah. Hey, do it the hard way. No, I'm just yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, that's kind of it, right? It's, <laughs> yeah, it's, right. <laughs> like, if you think about real estate, people people sort of you know idolize real estate as a passive investment. It's like, oh, I can own this thing and like not put much time into it and it just pays me out, right? 
But the thing is, is that the reason it's passive is because the appreciation value is just going to grow at about 2% a year for a decade or two decades or whatever Mm -hmm. it is, right? But if it's an active invest, if you could spend more time on that building and all of a sudden it would appreciate, you know, 10x its value over the next five Mm -hmm. years, it becomes really interesting, right? Mm -hmm. But people don't think of it like that. We think of the only things that can, you know, 10x in value would be like your startup or whatever. Well, if you buy a business and put your time into it, right? Mm -hmm. Not only are you getting that existing cash flow, but the appreciation value is completely correlated to the time and effort that you put in. And that's what we like as entrepreneurs, right? We want to grow things. And so what were the other two categories? So um, search funds and then, frankly, just active owners, right? So, so going back to the first one for just a, in a minute, mm-hmm. in the acquisition lab, every time we run a cohort, there's always like one or two people in it that the, the best acquisition entrepreneur is the sort of like, I grew a company, I started from scratch, I ran it for X amount of years, and I just exited like six months ago. I am not doing that again. I'm going to buy something that's already kind of going. So they know how to operate. They know how to operate successfully. And they're like, oh my God, that startup part is just so hard. And you talk to people and it's like, yeah, if I knew how hard it was, I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have started a business. Like it's just that and hard. And by the way, I, I, I'm just going to say that for me from Arcona, if I would have known that, <laughs> but after yes. we saw this, you just took the words out of my mouth, man. <laughs> Amen to that. <laughs> right? It's hard. I mean, it's really hard. And and so, um, yeah. And so the thing is, is like, there's an, there's a, the flip side of that coin is going to be, um, just existing owners of small businesses. Right. So, um, again, I'm kind of defining this as the sub $25 million market. Mm-hmm. I can, we can talk about individuals buying bigger companies if we want to. I, Concepts I all got, apply, I think. I mean, it's, yeah, yeah. I recently got cleared for a, a loan over a hundred million in order to take out this big company. It didn't go through, but like you can apply all of these like this, right? Yeah, so the zeros um, are just the commas just in different places. Exactly. So, so, so it's so you know if you've got a company where you know you're doing you know between one and ten million of revenue, you know you're going to be growing organically, but. But frankly, the fastest way to grow is going to be through acquisition, right? So there's only two ways to grow a business, innovation and acquisition. That's it. That's it. Okay. And so the thing is, is acquisition is always um, a viable option. A good friend of mine was had this great startup that he was doing and it was off to the races. Things were going well. He said, Walker, I didn't read your book at first because like I know you and like I read it and it blew my mind. And now I he went out and did uh, two acquisitions within 12 months. And now his valuation is uh, north of 30 million. They're raising a series A north of 30 million for the next hiring round, right? So he just went from, you know, like, um, yeah, yeah, $5 million valuation to a $30 million valuation just by growing through acquisition, okay? Hmm. And and it was a very startup, high growth startup kind of approach to the buy then build model. But anyone out there that's running a business should definitely be considering this as an option, Okay. So mm-hmm. you've got someone who doesn't have a business who wants to buy it, or you have someone who has a business who wants to buy it, right? And then you have this sort of small segment of people called search funds. You want to maybe explain a little bit more if there's maybe any more color of like the types of the first category of like, why do they want to do this? Like, what's the desire? It's the same, right? So, so you know, just to compare it to some of the other options that I'm sure you're exploring, let's just compare it to private equity, okay? Mm-hmm. In both of these examples, okay, um, Private equity's core competency at the end of the day is doing transactions, you know, doing buy and build, you know, roll-ups in, in certain spaces and plugging in operators. But but it's really all mergers and acquisitions work, right? 
you know, I, I think that it's, it's a, it's a very common, um, sort of, um, uh, I, you know, spreadsheet jockeys, raise money and deploy capital. I mean, I mean, it's, it's, it's sort of a caricature to be like, Hey, these finance, these, you know, these finance bros, you know, these spreadsheet <laughs> jockeys and, in wall street are, are, you know, valuing my company on something that I'm like, what well, you don't even know what you're talking about. Cause like, you're not out here doing it. Like there's a disconnect, but then like, you know, then like a bunch of like pinstripe suit wearing, you know, Wall Street guys roll in and like, you know, kill the culture and like, you know, presumably pay you the highest price, but then they change everything at the last minute. It's all deferred and they got you chained for a while. And it's, it's, you know, that's the sort of like nasty version. And I've worked with lots of private equity firms. They're not all like that. But the thing is, well, and, and the good, the good news is if the listeners have been following this mini series, they listen to Brent B. Shore and Sonny Vanderbeck who have no, they have no whole, uh, timeline. So like we're trying to introduce the people, but yes. your caricature that you just, the profile you just painted, I think everybody's probably going like this. It, yeah, yeah, yeah. It, Brent, Brent's a great example of the opposite. Brent's about 90 minutes that way. So uh, he's right oh, over I've inter- And by the way, you're the third person from Missouri I've interviewed this week. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what's going on, man. So it's maybe all, you are the new Silicon Valley. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. That's exactly right. It's all Highway 70, you know. St. Louis, Kansas City, Columbia. We got oh, it all. Right. East Coast, West Coast is all Missouri. So um <laughs> so the thing is is like, you know, you can buy an existing company. And the and the thing is is that like, you know, with with private equity, you know, they're raising funds, right? They're raising funds and this is what they're doing. They're deploying capital. Someone who, like me, first company I bought was a book printing company. Okay. Lots of reasons I bought it. Uh, the biggest reason was because I could, okay, I could get a big ass bank loan. It had a bunch of collateralized equipment. So I, a bank would give me a loan because the SBA wasn't doing what they're doing now mm-hmm. back then. And I was able to jump in and basically run the company, right? And build wealth and, mm-hmm. you know, run a company and, and, and just be strategic and like execute things. And it was a lot of fun, right? And really, really hard. Like, a lot of people kind of skim over that part. Really, about how really hard. It is. Really hard. <laughs> it's really hard. Yeah. And, um, you know, I mean, re- owning a book printing company during the Great Recession where, you know, I was in my early 30s and like, you know, doing doing furloughs, laying off people that had been there for a couple of decades. And, you know, t- like I paid myself nothing for a mm-hmm. full year. Right. I mean, it's just mm-hmm. really hard. Like it gets really hard. Mm-hmm. Anyway, um, we can talk about that if you want. But the point is, is like it's because it's a lifestyle decision. And it's like, I know that I can get a bank loan. I know that I can, you know, acquire something that's like 10 times my net worth or more in that case. Mm-hmm. And I can build value over time through equity buildup and um, growing the business. Okay. So it's just a different way of being an entrepreneur than, than you know, as previously explained. I think from a seller's perspective, the greatest thing that an ac- acquisition entrepreneur brings to the table is really the continuation of the legacy. Mm-hmm. In other words, so many people are like, you know, I want my company to mean something. My core team, I could not have put my kids through college with the com- with the profits of this business if my core team wasn't there with me for the last 20 years. Like, yep. Yep. I, you, like I don't want someone to roll in and fire them because we're doing cost cutting, right? Like, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I want them to value what we've built here and the secret sauce that we have rather than just like squeeze it, flip it, you know, in four years, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So I think that the, the AE, right, the acquisition entrepreneur, what, what they really bring is the continuation of the legacy in terms of a personal investment of time, money, personal guarantees, almost all the time on large sums of money. 
And so well, and I think you hit on no, and, and it's so important everything you just said, Walker, because before we hit record, you know, I was explaining kind of how our principle one, principle two, and principle three of the intentional growth principles all kind of use are used as a lens to make the decisions for the seller and saying, okay, because like all I want for someone to say, okay, if someone's offering me if there's three $10 million offers all being equal, let's say, let's say actually the private equity one was two million more. If they say, Hey, I like Walker. I believe he understands my vision and my team. And I believe him that's the known entity. And I might be willing to accept 2 million less for that reason. And that's a choice and it's no, it's not wrong. It's just like that go in eyes wide open. And so I think it's super fascinating because what I always say in our training is like, you know, because you could have five acquisition entrepreneurs in front of you and there's five different people, same price, but they, you, they might have five yeah. different alignments with vision and strategy and people. I don't know, but it's at least you're dealing with that conversation. And so, like you said, it's not a general partner and a platform and some limited partners. And I mean, yeah, they each have their different scenarios that are tied to it. It's It's been really kind of interesting you know, taking on the broker role as well. And, and the reason why, the reason I, there's a couple of reasons I did it. One, I felt like I had gotten really good at doing private market deals, but, but second, it's just, I like doing deals and it's so fun to see thing deals that I'm not a buyer or a seller on. Right. No personal guarantees there. Like you go ahead. Here you go. I got all the enjoyment, but I'm not on the hook. Yeah, yeah. after the fact. <laughs> But it's like, but it's like, um, like I did, I did do a deal last, last, two weeks ago where the buyer pulled out right at the last minute. And I wanted to be like, Oh no, no, no. Like you're making a mistake. Like I almost bought it just so I could show him like, <laughs> like the, the miscalculation he was making. Right. And really mm-hmm. it was just an, an issue of cold feet. And he started looking at the wrong number and like, he couldn't, he just couldn't get there. Right. And this was a successful CEO who had had an exit and he mm-hmm. just like, this wasn't actually what I was going to say right now. So I got a little caught, but the point is, is, is now that I'm, you know, an M&A advisor. You're seeing deals. And I was, I was talking about like aligning the buyers, no, the the buyers, buyers and the sellers together with the vision of what's next yeah, or how, so, what could so be ran, possible. We ran um, a process on a company maybe a month ago. Um, maybe the most popular one ever. It was a SaaS business and it, uh, it we got 14 offers in, in about, in about eight days. Right. Wow. And it's really interesting to look at these because you get, you know, you're on all the calls and you get to meet all of the potential buyers. Most of the time, there's a few buyers that are really being considered and the buyers that are not being considered at all, they don't even understand that like they're mm-hmm. not even in the game, right? Mm-hmm. Be- because of like, they don't know how to talk or like they, they don't, <laughs> they don't understand. It's like, it's like, you know, like in, in, in by then build, I sort of describe like the the angel investor, right? That sort of kicks their feet up on the desk and is like, why should I invest in your company? And they come in, they're like, why should I buy your company? It's like, you actually have that backwards. Like you kind of need to interview to be the CEO right now. You know what I'm saying? Like, like a hundred percent. You know what it reminds me of, man? But like, I've been in sales almost my whole life. And it's like, it's like the stupid sales people that I'm like, you just showed up and throw up. And like, and you put that on your funnel and you're no, you're, you don't know that everyone hates you. <laughs> and that's about a strong word, but everybody thinks you're a bumpkin or whatever. And it's like, yeah, yeah but they think, and it's like, no, they, the people want to be truly understood. Right. So it's probably a, a high degree of EQ that you're probably referring to. Yeah. Well, it's also like, it's also like, you know, as buyers, I think that, and this is what private equity gets real right. Okay. Really right at the beginning is the biggest thing that you can do as a buyer in any of these things is exude 
confidence and speed to closing. Okay. Got to get a deal done. 30 days. Come on, Walker. If you're like, I have can like, not only do I fit in as a competent buyer, but I stand out because I'm exceptional as a buyer. And not only that, but like, I'm so interested in this thing that like, you can have confidence that I 100% am going to close and I'm going to close as fast as possible. And like, let me show you some letters and stuff to show you that like all of the cash is ready to go. (laughs) Confidence and speed to closing is what gets you the deal. Okay. Mm. Private equity is extremely good at that. Gets you to the table or gets you the deal. What do you mean? Get, they're very good at at getting the LOI because they know that what you need to hear is, do you have the money? And they're like, I got the money. <laughs> like, well, well, do you do you buy companies? I buy companies every week. Like, you, you know, like 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 we have a process, uh, and we are gonna we are gonna you know get this through in ninety days. Listen, I put ninety days in the contract. I think we're gonna get it done in like thirty to forty five. But like, we need ninety because you know I got these investors. But like, I have so much money. We can't deploy it fast enough. <laughs> you know, like let's keep this. You know, <laughs> this is why. I, this is why I was excited to have you back on the on the call because when we <laughs> chat, our, I love I love your sarcastic sense of humor, man. I just like it, just, it brings me it brings me so much joy. <laughs> I just love it. <laughs> I so they're really good at that because they know that's what gets the deal, right? Uh-huh. And, and I think uh-huh. a lot of acquisition entrepreneurs, there's a little bit of a of a. Um, uh, learning curve, right? Because they're like, oh, wait, I can do this, you know? And so like, you'll have 14 potential buyers and, you know, one of them will just sort of like, you know, throw, like have a, like a not very good phone call, throw an offer over that's, you know, five or 10% below asking price, you know? And meanwhile, we have like 12 offers at asking price or, or better. And they're mm-hmm. like showing conviction and showing like why they're good buyers. And then all of a sudden this guy is like angry because you like, you know, got the slow treatment from me. Well, and think about that. It, well, and, and if I'm the seller, I'm going, it took me 20 years to build this. That's right. I, That's I right. want, I want someone to go. Yeah. Nice work. You did it. And I respect everything mm-hmm. you built mm-hmm. and I'm willing to pay you a fair market and treat it the same way yeah. you did. I don't know if that's. Yeah kind of up the line that like well, what you're what you're seeing and no that's right and, and i also think that um i think that most companies out there okay the 96 percent i said earlier 96 percent of companies in the united states never reach a million dollars in revenue annual revenue 96 percent mm-hmm. that's huge right so think about the large volume of businesses that really just are not really a business no, I don't want to say, but but I was going to say like like all of those businesses that have less than two million dollars in EBITDA, that's where mm-hmm. the acquisition entrepreneur comes in. Mm-hmm. Okay, mm-hmm. if you've got mm-hmm. between half a million and two million in in EBITDA, SDE, adjusted EBITDA, whatever unit of measure you want to think of, mm-hmm. if, if you know, the second you have like two million in adjusted EBITDA, you're going to get private equity audience. Mm-hmm. But all of those companies, less than that, there's either going to be niche you know, private equity firms like these FBA aggregators, just mm-hmm. an example, or mm-hmm. individuals, you know, either other businesses or, or acquisition entrepreneurs. This is going to be a wonderful uh, bridge back to then uh, your search fund third category, because yeah. I want to give you, I'm curious in your, your comments on what I'm about to say, if it fits mm-hmm. into this uh, transition is, like, I've been looking at the numbers, kind of like you with stats and looking at like in the census bureau, like, okay, if 56 or 55.6 million of the 6 million companies are below 5 million in revenue. I yep. look at just the math walker. I'm going, right. okay, so let's say it's a Pareto's principle and 80% of them are below, you know, it's 80, 20. So 20% of them are close to the 5 million. The rest are below. You go, okay, take 700 grand in EBITDA, seller's discretionary earnings. Let's, let's say EBITDA. 
I look at the math and going, you take an SBA loan, a 10-year amortization schedule, 15% down, the math breaks almost immediately unless you're an electrician, a plumber, an HVAC technician, or the architect, or whatever the the trade is, because you have to have that cash flow to service the debt. Like essentially, like you have to have the operator, the capital stack of the debt to equity kind of starts to break the lower down you go. And I'm mm-hmm. so I, I remember years ago, and I don't know if you and I talked about this at conference. I'm like, some there has to be different mechanisms out there to facilitate the transitions of these assets without breaking the bank where it's just debt. Does that make sense? Or like, and I think that kind of leads into the search fund area where there's oh, okay. like, I gotcha. Is, 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 and again, I'm not, I'm not knocking yeah. one or the other, as I'm just trying to say, like, you, you get, you, depending on the business model and what's going on, so there needs so, to be more options. Is that, do you think that's valid or? No, I know what you're saying. So, so, so here's the, here's how the math kind of directionally breaks down, which is if you put 10% down on a business and you're paying like a three times for it, three times SD, okay, mm-hmm. plus inventory, which usually gets you, you know, all in somewhere between 3.2 and 4X, okay, and you put 10% down, 90% debt, it comes out to about 45% of annual cash flow goes to principal and interest, okay? okay? To your point, and one of the things I really try to hammer home with anyone at the acquisition lab, and, and anyone, anyone, is mm-hmm. the minute that you buy a company, we all do it. We make these mistakes. And we're like, ha, I'm an owner now. This thing kicks off, kicks off 700,000 in SD. You know, yeah, right. SD is not net income, first of all. Okay, it's not <laughs> actually cash flow. And they start, you know, you start taking a big salary right out of the gate. You're like, oh, dude, I'm like, I'm doing it. And you're like, okay. I say, no, build cash. When you take that much debt on, what you're doing is you're saying, I'm going, I'm borrowing this money and I'm going to pay it because I'm getting all this future cash, right? And so I'm giving you a big percentage of this future cash. So you need to build cash and build safety. You need to focus and, on and you're building equity along the time. So if you didn't do anything, you'd end up with that asset at the end, just like with real estate. I mean, it's the same equation. That's right. And so what your point is, is that like, you know, if, 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 you know, 45% of the seller's discretionary earnings is now going to principal and interest. And it's only 700,000 to begin with. That leaves about 350,000 in loose math. Okay. That's mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. But then you also got to pay taxes and, and, you know, do, and, you know, inv- reinvest in the business, maybe hire that new sales rep and it didn't work out. So that was a waste of money. And then, you know, yep, so yep, yep, absolutely. Of, yep. a lot of, and you got to pay yourself. There's just a lot of like outgoing money. So you need to, you know, so your point is if I could get some equity, on that, then it would it would build additional safety into the acquisition, which is exactly what private equity companies do, right? They put in between mm-hmm. forty and sixty percent equity in a deal. Why? Because they've been caught three times with their pants down in economic downturns. Okay, mm-hmm. meaning too much leverage. Okay, mm-hmm. too much. Well, and, and then, let, me, let me let me let me a small yeah. story there. There was a gentleman that I talked to and bought a business, and it was the home services business, and bought it ten percent down. And I think that. This is a more of like a, a warning story, like being due diligent, being diligent about this stuff because inflation, supply chain issues, all of a sudden he had to like buy a bunch of inventory that was not in the historical performance. And then all of a sudden the labor that you're all of a sudden his payroll and he's going, the whole thing went upside down. He's like, I haven't paid myself in however long. And it's like, yeah. and he's owned the company for 18 months. And it's like, yeah. it doesn't mean that the, the idea or strategy was wrong. It was more of like the kind of the safety net is what you're talking about. Cause every business needs to be looked at a little bit differently. Yeah. And so, and so, you know, that like, I almost didn't release by then build. Cause I was like, oh man, everyone's going to think I'm crazy or that I'm telling, you know, 
that I'm telling you, like, quit your job and go take on like, you know, 10 times your net worth and debt, you know, and, and then I was like, God, someone's going to do it. You know, someone's going to run out there and do it. And then they're going to go broke or whatever, you know, you know like, you know, but then I was like, well, look at all the books that tell you to quit your job and like run out and just start a business from scratch. And I was like, at least I feel like mine's a little more responsible. <laughs> well, or, or, how to, or how to like gamble your entire future on being an yeah. Instagram influencer. Like, I, don't, I mean, <laughs> but like how many people, how many people start a home service company and don't pay themselves for 18 months? Like everybody that's ever started one. It, it's oh, part yeah. of it. You know what I mean? Oh, like yeah. it's just part of entrepreneurship. Well, and I, yeah, and I appreciate that context, man. Cause like, what I what I was saying, and even with you before we launched the the record button, is mm-hmm. it's about information so people can make their own decisions, right? That's like right. this That's is right. a mechanism and a tool. And I, what I think is also interesting is again the kind of your three different buckets as we move on to search funds. These are yeah. as long as someone knows who they're talking to and what the potential jigsaw mm-hmm. puzzle options are, it doesn't matter. There's not necessarily anything that's good or bad. It's situational if yeah. un- people understand the options. Yeah. So, I mean, the, the, the thing with, with search funds is, is um, search funds actually started uh, right out of Cambridge, Massachusetts, okay, at Harvard. Okay, it came out of Harvard. And um, there was a, um, a professor there that historically was much more than a professor. We won't go into his very impressive background, but he was the CEO of a, of a public company that, that, or sorry, of a big company that then sold and, and um, Became a Harvard professor, later moved to Stanford and sort of spread, you know, the, the kind of search fund concept. But the thing is, is that um, the concept was, hey, he went to one of his, you know, students and said, why don't you find a business to buy? And me and a bunch of my friends will basically put the money forward for you to buy it. Okay. And uh, he was like, uh, that sounds good. And so he went out and actually bought a printing company and he bought a printing company and the concept, though, was here's what we're going to do. We're going to pull some money together and we're going to fund like you just gra- graduate with your Harvard MBA and you're living in Boston, Massachusetts. It's expensive. Right. And you've got these probably student loans or whatever. And so they were paying them. I don't know what for that specific thing. I don't know. But, you know, generally they're paying now like one hundred thousand dollars a year just to search, just to search mm-hmm. for that business to buy. And so a traditional search fund is just that. It's usually an MBA student or a recent MBA graduate who goes out and raises money from a group of search fund investors, okay, to cover a 24-month search period, okay? Now, um, it's a, so 24 months in this example would be about 200000 okay? Mm-hmm. That can be a single or a, or a partner, so that'd be 400000 okay? Loose math, mm-hmm. but... Um, mm-hmm. And the concept is that they're going to take this two or 400,000. These investors get two things. One, they get the ability to invest the equity in the deal once that searcher finds the deal that they want to acquire. Okay. Mm-hmm. And two, they get what's called a step up. So that initial 200,000 that was raised, um, they get a, I think it's a 25%, 20 or 25% step up in, uh, I should know that I teach this at, in school business, I used to, you know, but uh, but I think it's so so that loose math, you, loose math. Come on, Walker. Yeah, yeah <laughs> becomes becomes you know two forty or two fifty. Let's just say two hundred fifty thousand in equity. Okay, so you automatically get equity, and you automatically get a twenty percent bump in your equity. Okay, from what you invested. Okay, because you invested in the search. So a good search fund, all of the search fund investors will step up and eagerly put in, you know, the equity piece. 
Okay. And so you're going to raise about, you know, 40 to 50% of your, well, I've seen a hundred percent equity acquisitions with no debt in search funds. And so the thing is, is um, the concept is, is they're bringing in that equity, that patient capital, and then they're minimizing the debt piece. And as a result, because they're sort of getting that bump, that lift of equity, it's also taking them above the sort of limits of the kind of like SBA financing, which would be the mm-hmm. most common, okay, in this space. Mm-hmm. And so the the average uh, search fund acquisition is about $13 million, right? So a little okay. bit bigger than, you know, you're sort of like, um, you know, let's just say sub $10 million acquisition entrepreneur. Acquisition. So then and that's super, super clear and helpful. I appreciate that very much. And then from the MBA student, Talk about from their their perspective and like how because you that makes sense from the investor why they would want to do that, especially over that. And that's why I think about these this mechanism fits in, in the market because people need yield. So these investors are looking for different ways to get into these companies without having to operate them, right? Which yeah. makes sense. And so then from the invest from the that's uh, that searcher, like how you weren't talking about from their angle, right? From the bump up in equity, or is that what is that what you were talking about? That's what the from investor. The, yeah. So then so speak to the person that's out there. Like if it was you and me or like the MBA student going out there and finding yep. these companies, why do yep. that? Why, what's their, what's their motive behind this? Yeah. Well, I mean, their, their motive is I think twofold. First, I think that, um, you know, when you are coming out of business school, okay, you, you still need a little bit more experience, you know, before you're ready to start like gunslinging and doing it yourself. And you probably have no money. Okay. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but, but you, you know, you know, a lot of search funds came out of Harvard and Stanford, right? And then they've expanded to MIT, University of Chicago. I mean, these are the best, Yale, these are the best schools in the world, okay? Mm-hmm. And they're the ones capitalizing on it because they're going, oh my God, are you seeing this opportunity? Like, this is the hugest, <laughs> well, these are the smartest people in the world going, oh my God, yeah, don't right. talk about <laughs> yeah. no, right? Yeah, and this is what's happening. And so, and they're saying like, well, we need operators. Like, where are we going to get operators? And they're like, oh, we got, we run Harvard Business School. Like, this is amazing. <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah. Ding, 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 ding. Yeah. <laughs> Conveyor belt of operators and money. That's and called so, the definition of a flywheel. They're using their own endowments too. Yeah, exactly. like, they just exactly. close the loop. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. And, so it's, and so you get a lot of, um, yeah. So anyway, and, and so that, and by the way, just to, this is a really interesting component from the investor perspective. If you have people that are interested in being investors, a big part of the 20% step up just of the initial search is that that 20% up kind of, um, if you get it over, say, a a portfolio of 10 of them, it sort of covers the portfolio game of like those, you know, one to three losers that you're going to have. That step up Mm -hmm. alone on the winners is the the thing that actually nets you out on the loss. And then the gains of the big winners is where you get That's awesome. That's awesome. That's that's kind of the, 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 the thought behind it. There's another thought behind it, but I'll spare you the, the academics. So, so from the searcher's perspective, they want, okay, uh, tell you what, I'm going to borrow from uh, Brian O'Connor, who teaches entrepreneurship through acquisition at the University of Chicago and started NextGen Partners, which, by the way, is a single sponsor model, which there's different models of search funds we can unpack if you're interested. Okay, yeah, let's do it. He, he said it best when I asked him a, a version of this question, and he said, okay, in, in a normal kind of, you know, business situation, you have like, you know, the horse and the jockey, right? Mm-hmm. Meaning the business and the entrepreneur, okay? Mm-hmm. And then he said, in search funds, you you really pay attention to, to two other things, which is um, number three, the track, meaning the industry that you're in, okay? Well, like and 
And, and number four, and this was the big one, was the coach. Okay, the mm-hmm. coach of the jockey, the coach of the horse. The, and the coach is presumably the search fund investors who then become your board of directors. Mm-hmm. So this Makes is a sense. very formal situation where you know, you're acquiring a business for $13 million. You have not had a post-MBA job, most likely. Okay, you're bringing in a bunch of people in your, in your community that are investing equity and time to help you succeed. And then you're the one sort of getting, you know, dropped in there and, and you're getting, I mean, if you compare this to, you know, the acquisition entrepreneurs that we just talked about where you're buying like 80 to hundred percent of the company, or you're buying mm-hmm. you know, all of it usually, and you get, you get it all in this situation, these, these guys, they're usually getting about 6% of the company at closing. And based on their performance, they can earn up to 20. Mm-hmm. Okay. So it's, it's much more of like a, private equity operator kind of compensation. I love like even comparing those, like, so if you think about it, like the first, the first category of the, of the, you know, corporate executive or someone that's buying, you know, however they're getting that SBA loan. Yeah. They have to have a certain amount of wealth to personally guarantee a portion of the, first of all, have somehow wrangle a few hundred grand down and then personal guarantee enough stuff. And they have operating experience versus, You know, the MBA student, like you said, first of all, I don't know how much those debt, those loans are, but like, you're not just going to parachute in and get a $125,000 job with no experience. So my guess is the personal income limitations are already an issue, but then how do you get equity? I mean, everybody's job pretty much is trying to figure out how do we get equity in an asset that grows? And that's a way to, you know, kind of thread the needle of those two. That's that's great. By the way, I think the average starting salary of a Harvard MBA is like one hundred and fifty to one hundred and seventy-five right now. So just to put it out there, now now I think that so I, was, a, I was short. <laughs> well, if you run a search fund, I think it's lower. I think it's like mm-hmm. maybe a hundred. Okay, and, and and but the concept is is you know you're earning up to 20, 20 sometimes twenty four percent on a single single operator you know search mm-hmm. fund. And so the concept is is let's say I buy a thirteen million dollar company. Okay, and uh, I spend five years running it and I grow it and we have an exit at 15 million. Okay. Um, I, the math's wrong cause there's some debt in there and whatnot, but, but, you know, um, um, you know, I just made, you know, 2 million bucks, two and a half million bucks in five years. Right. I mean, they're growing the I asset. Paid, yeah. Yeah. Plus I got Good paid a you know, hundred thousand along the way. Like I mean, it's great. Right? And, and let's go back to the alternative is take no job, do a startup, gamble 10 years, no pay, no nothing. <laughs> Like, or go or go get a job, you know, you know, save go get a job and save and save and save. Yeah, you're making one hundred fifty thousand a year, which is amazing money, right? And I think that I think that's the hard part for those that category of people. It's like, well, wait, I can, I can make one hundred fifty a year, and you know, like at least get my sea legs under me, you know. Mm-hmm, and, but mm-hmm. five, you know, five years later, you know, yeah, you, you know, you saved twenty percent of your after tax income for five years and your buddy just, you know, pocketed two and a half million bucks. I mean, you know, and it's, and it's real. And I think that's, so you were talking about independent sponsors. You, there, what are, what are some of the, yeah, so is there a couple um, different options? What we, what we just talked about is, has now been sort of, you know, tagged as a as traditional search fund. Okay. Um, then you've got a, um, a single sponsor, uh, search fund, you've got an independent sponsor and you've got a, um, uh, a self-funded. Okay. So the, um, the traditional we covered, the single sponsor is the one that says, hey, in a traditional search fund, you have these two raises, right? So the first, you have to raise money for, you know, will you help me, you know? And then the second is once you get the deal, 
you have to go raise money around, hey, now I got the deal. And so some of your, you know, angel type investor, search fund investors might fall off and they don't really like that deal. And now you got to go run and get the money. And like, in the meantime, you're trying to get the business under LOI and like your Mm -hmm. investors are falling out. Now your sellers, like, what are you doing? You know, so there's a lot of drawbacks to trying to get this done if you don't get the Mm -hmm. right investors at the beginning. Single sponsor search funds um, basically say, you know, Pacific Lake, I think, is the, is the sort of first. And, and they're, they're, by the way, started by Jim Southern, who is the first ever search fund entrepreneur. Uh, Next Gen Partners was another one I just mentioned. But, but Search Fund Accelerator is a bunch of them. But the point is, is like, you know, they say, look, we want to we fund your entire search. We want to fund your acquisition. And uh, we're going to bring all these people in. So we now have a CRM. So every year we bring in a cohort and we have this CRM that basically all we're doing outreach, proprietary outreach to all of these potential sellers. And, you know, if a traditional search fund builds the wheel from scratch and then four years later, that seller calls and says, hey, I'm ready to sell to you. They're like, dude, I I bought a company three years ago. I'm knee deep in book printing. Like I can't buy your company. (laughs) Yeah, Right? right. Yep. But if you, if you call one of these other places, they're like, oh, well, Walker's gone, but Ryan's here now. He's mm-hmm. in the new cohort. Like, we're going to sell you. Ryan wants to buy your company, right? And they're like, oh, who's Ryan? That sounds good, right? So there's- Ryan, have a check? To, no. <laughs> yeah. So, so, so the sales part is sort of like, hey, you know, we, you know, you don't have to raise money really at all. You just have to sort of get in. And then number two, we have all this education that we educate you on. And then number three, we have all this proprietary deal flow that is on this flywheel. The downside of a single sponsor, of course, is going to be um, that, you know, they basically get the keys to the kingdom. And if they don't like your deal that you want to buy, you know, now you got to like, you know, go rogue and, and, you know. So that, that's super it. helpful, man. And honestly, like you, you shed some light on even my understanding of this. Cause like I was under the kind of the, just probably on the search fund, I've kind of been scratching the first kind of chunk of understanding of it but like i always thought it was like the person that was paying for the you know, the salary and then sponsoring the deal i so what you just described is actually what i kind of attributed to that so that was yeah. very helpful because i'm going back and now it makes it's even making more sense when you're talking about the salary and then the step up in the equity because yep. it's a separate investor then That's potentially right. that makes a shitload more sense yeah <laughs> yeah, yeah can we say that s word on this show i didn't know uh yes <laughs> <laughs> Apologize so, for the audience. They, they know that I like to, yeah. <laughs> I, so, I, I try to keep it as PG as I can. <laughs> no, no, yeah. I'm, I'm. There's effort here, not dropping f bombs. I get very excited. But, yes. uh, but uh, <laughs> you know, yeah, so the, the, the last two are sort of like independent sponsors and so funded. So independent sponsors. Um, what's interesting is like they did they did a survey at Harvard keeps coming up in this call, but like like they did a survey at Harvard and said like okay, what, like two years ago, what's the what's the number one most desired career job? for these current MBAs and independent sponsor was the number one uh, selection. Wow. And I, and I want to be very clear here saying that you want to be an independent sponsor as a, as your job is the equivalent of saying my career plan is to move to Hollywood and be an A-list actor. Right. Okay? I was like, wait, you're it's just not, jumping a couple no, steps yeah, there. Yeah, exactly. It's, 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 it's like an end goal of like a lot of things that happen along the way. Okay. Now it's probably easier. I want to be Steve Schwartzman, you know, the, the, the <laughs> yeah, yeah, CEO yeah. of Blackstone, right? Like who doesn't, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, do you talk about independent sponsors in your, in other parts of this? You know what? Like in, cause in our training in principle three, in the yeah. five exit options, we talk about acquisition entrepreneur, but like I said, that we're, we've probably, 
it's probably like 40% of what we're talking about now. So this is okay. super helpful. This is actually going to end up going in the training underneath that, that category because oh. this is very helpful. So, so an independent sponsor, um, there's another word for an independent sponsor, and that is fundless sponsor, meaning they don't have any money. Uh, so it's a private <laughs> equity firm. Seriously, it's a private equity firm that has no cash. Okay, they didn't raise. They didn't raise a hopes fund. and dreams, Walker. Hopes and dreams. I'm. Not- they, they didn't raise a fund. They basically just said, "Hey, you know, we want to raise on a per deal basis." Okay. Mm-hmm. Now the other thing is, is that the buyers of it are more interested in operating a fund than they are in operating it. So usually, what happens is, um, usually what happens is, is they end up getting equity from private equity firms who take the equity piece. Okay, and then you get the debt piece. Uh, from a lender directly. Okay. So mm-hmm, you're kind of becoming mm-hmm. the fund yourself, right? On a per deal basis. But then two things also usually. And the happen. deal is the mechanism to, uh, this, the deal consummates That's all right. of that stuff. But it is, it is the deal pretty much secondary to the structure that they're trying to get at? Is that what you're kind of saying? Um, it's sort of like, I mean, I'm sure it's very common for you to hear at some point in your life, like, oh, just find the deal and then you'll get the money. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. It's yep. kind of that. It's yep. it's sort of saying like like if I as long as I can get an exclusive on this deal, the deal becomes mine, and then I get mm-hmm. to shop. Right. Yep. Yep. And then you is that you know, is that have a lot to do with Walker? Like I've even watched over the last five years, brokers brokers and even like the middle market M and A advisory uh, firms. I mean, you used to be able to just like click and ask for information on and sign NDAs, but now it's like you know, personal financial statements, tax, uh, tax returns. I don't know if it's so many people sort of flooding the market of just wasting people's time for this. Is that, is this part of that? Or is that I mean, just is not, not no, as correlated? I mean, like, like, I don't know. I mean, I, I, I will say that, um, in my, in my broker role, well, <laughs> in my business operating role, there's so much that just time wasted. I mean, right. But then like, you know, but then like in brokerage, there's, it's the same thing. And so, so I think that, um, I don't have an answer to that, Ryan. I don't know. No, 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 no. I was just, maybe I was connecting to that. Well, 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 I think, I think what's going on here is that like the, the, the private capital markets are opaque. They're, they're fragmented. There's no best practices, right? I mean, not like no one knows what they're doing, right? I often describe it almost as like, um, uh, cyclists on the road. Cars don't like cyclists. They think they should be on the sidewalk, I guess, with the people walking. And and cyclists don't like cars. They're both moving vehicles on the road. But because bicycles aren't actually on the driver test, neither the cyclist nor the driver knows how they're supposed to behave. Okay? (laughs) The private capital markets are exactly the same way. No one knows what they're supposed to do. Like, it's unregulated. Imagine for a minute. Imagine if anyone you knew or have ever met could just become a real estate uh, agent without getting a license, just they could just like become one. That's mm-hmm. brokerage. Okay, oh, know, crazy, it's dude? completely unregulated. There's nothing. Okay, some states require a real estate license because they're like, I don't know, we need something, right? You gotta. Well, and you know what's so crazy, Walker? Like, and I just uh, heard this recently. I was talking to a buddy of mine who is an investment banker, and I in her training, and I have to go and update it because I made it three years ago. Is like. The difference between brokers and investment bankers is investment bankers were security licensed, so they were regulated by FINRA and the SEC, so they could do stock sales and all these more complicated stuff. And I, my buddy was saying, like, no, no, like brokers can now do some of that stuff based on the new regulations. I'm like, whoa, we got even more open. Okay, which is um, I can't. I don't know if that's about, 
I can actually talk about. I used to be licensed by the SEC as well. Like, so I, I, I you know, I had the Series Seven and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, we can mm-hmm. talk about this, but maybe it's it feels a little off topic. Do you want? Yeah, to talk yeah that's. About uh, no, <laughs> I, I mean, I think it's just super fat. I mean, I, okay. So, so here's what's going on is basically once it's a, so you've got asset sales and stock sales, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, 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 and once you have a stock sale, it's, it becomes a regulated market. So if, if mm-hmm. you're going to raise capital as a startup, right, you need to go file with the SEC and do your, mm-hmm. your, you know, your A round and all the rest of it. And then like, you know, everyone needs to be accredited and you're responsible to make sure everyone's accredited. That's all the regulated stuff because it's an equity transaction. Right. Okay. And the only reason why, you know, you know, if I'm selling like a $2 million business and it becomes a stock sale, I now need to be licensed if right. I'm running, if I'm negotiating or brokering the deal. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, in our contracts, what happens is if, if the deal, I'm sure there's, there's a right way for me legally to say this. So if there's any attorneys, this is spirit. Yeah. The spirit, yeah, we're not attorneys or CPAs, man. Yeah, yeah, legal, yeah. But the deal is, is that like, basically it's like, Oh, okay. I, I now can no longer negotiate the deal and the fee that the seller is paying the brokerage, um, becomes a marketing fee and it becomes a flat fee that has nothing to do with the percentage of the egg purchase. That's price. what I do recall now because it had and to so do with like you, you, you get around it with like not so the, tying it to the exact percentage. The real, of. The, so the real difference to me today in terms of a, a, um, a business broker or an M&A advisor and an investment banker, okay, is that an investment banker is um, able to raise money Okay. Around like, like a minority investment around a company. Okay. Mm-hmm. And number two, they're, they can take you public, which is basically the same thing. I'm, I'm right. you know, we're raising yeah. money. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's just all to do with equities market. and raising money. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Yep. But, but if it's just a transaction, um, it, it, does, mm. it doesn't really matter. And, and the thing is, is that like, you know, as someone that used to be, um, regulated, you have to be affiliated with a broker dealer that's, you know, affiliated with the, with FINRA under the SEC and, and just the sheer overhead expense of you know the the like the um if, regulation if, and all this all the compli- compliance and stuff like that oh my god yeah I, I mean i would have sec agents in in my office here like mm-hmm. here like looking in my file cabinets and at my house where i have another you know i've got like a desk like shoved back in like a basically a closet i mean you know like i mean it's nuts and and it, it just becomes so expensive that if you're in the sub 25 million dollar market it's unaffordable no, no one would be able to operate because you would right. just go broke, like the, the SEC yep. would get all the money. Um, so it's it's not it's and it by the way, not it's not transferable. It's not relevant information mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, coming from well, someone who used to be regulated, right? Right, and, and all that makes sense. And it was it was a slight digression, but we, I actually just had uh, Peter Learman from Axial um, on the on the on the podcast. We awesome. split the split the series and the mini series and. and in, uh, in a great. couple of chunks, Peter's awesome, and we, yeah, we actually great. did an update on the M and A advisory fee survey that they just did. So oh, this cool. was a nice little tack onto that, but kind of bringing us full circle back to like you know I was bringing it up because of the amount of NDAs and the personal financial statements and all that stuff that invest that brokers and investment bankers are requiring, and I think the whole point oh, yeah. of this mm-hmm. is business owners Walker that come through our training that I'm talking to and speaking in front of all the time don't know the difference of any of this stuff. They think it's an either internal transfer, strategic or private equity. And there's so many flavors. So what you're doing is like, you're, you're giving people the information to say, Oh, Walker has no money. He's an, he's a fundless sponsor versus someone that raised some money. Like yeah. they ask the questions. So that way we can figure out 
do we trust each other? And is there a transaction available here? Well, I, I also think that, frankly, brokers are terrible. Um, almost all of them are just terrible. And I'm so sorry to say that. I mean, there's really- Well, you're ones. one, at least like, I've said variations of that comment, but like, there's a, it's always like, there's a couple, like the top you know, cream of the crop. Yeah, by, by and large, they're they're bad. And the thing is, is like, they don't understand what we're talking about right now. Like, they, 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 <laughs> like the thing is, is like, when, when I talk to someone, I'm like, okay, well, you know, it, it, like I can figure out pretty quickly what's happening. And I'm like, okay, so if, if you're a search fund, like I'm not gonna mm-hmm. lock you out. Okay, like you're not locked out. I just need to. I just need to understand where we are, and I think that you know this is probably a big part of it. So the last one is a self-funded searcher. Okay, let me explain this for a minute. Um, a self-funded searcher is someone who basically is an acquisition entrepreneur, but was introduced to the topic through their business school program. <laughs> so in other words, I have no money. I'm not part of a single sponsor search fund, and I'm trying to find a business to, to fund and operate. Okay. Now, what they do, what they what they do is they typically will, you know, come up with. Um, uh, I always joke with my chief of staff that they come up with the name like uh, Beaver Lake Capital, you know, and, and they and they, you know what I mean? Like it's just like they come up with something, and it's always like a, you know, it's like it sounds like a private uh, so a, a nature uh, yeah, or like yeah. a statue or a street or something. It's <laughs> literally like a website called like Name My Private Equity Firm, and it just like is a rolling like you hit go, and it's like a, and it rolls, and it's got like a it's got like an animal and like a sturdy like, oak, yeah, Eagle Eagle Mountain, you know, or like whatever it is, you know, like whatever it is. So yeah, like like Beaver Beaver River, you know, is the one I always joke about. But, but anyway, so because oh. so, I grew up on Beaver Drive, Brian. Let's let's. I mean, don't get don't not a river thing. walker, not legit. <laughs> So the point is, is like, is like they, they have these websites and it makes them look like, oh, like I'm, you know, I'm a, I'm a funded, like we've got a thing and I'm looking by businesses. And then the other thing is, is that search funds are, are very, um, there's this little element in there that when they raise money from these searcher, from these uh, investors for a traditional search fund. Okay. Brian, what did those investors just buy? So, so you cut off for a second. Say it again. Yeah. So, so if you're if you are an entrepreneur that's going to run a traditional search fund and you and you raise money from like a dozen search funds, you know, investors to get that two hundred thousand, so you can search for two years. Mm-hmm. What did those investors just buy? The future, the, the 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 potential to have equity in something. Yes, they bought your time. Okay, and you know, you want to know what they want? They don't want you to just go out and call all the brokers and look at the broker listings. They are really emphasizing proprietary deal flow because they want you. Mm-hmm. To go out and find. They want you to run that hamster. Describe wheel proprietary deal flow. I've covered. I, I've, I've covered that topic. But explain proprietary deal flow because yeah. it is just a fancy name for something that makes a lot of common it's sense. A, it's a fancy name for an off-market deal, right? I mean, basically, yeah. you either <laughs> exactly. go to the advisor or you, as a as an individual, reach out to you know you go know, to the trade uh, show and shake hands with Walker, the printing book conference yep. trade association, right? That's right. Go to the yeah. bar, Walker, go drink yeah. some and go find a deal. Exactly. It's like, it's, there's no broker. You're not on the market. It's just like, Hey, like, look, I don't want to be too bold, but like, would you sell me your company? I'm looking for something to buy. Like, no, it's an okay answer. But like, I, you know, you open to this or what? That's, that's a proprietary deal. Okay. And so, and so the thing is, is they, these search fund investors and in particular really push a proprietary deal flow because they're coming from the middle market where it's crowded with institutional mm-hmm, buyers. Mm-hmm, okay? mm-hmm. And it's all about, it's like, dude, how do we get upstream? How do we get proprietary deal flow? So it's tons of letters. It's tons of outgoing, you know, you know, and, and my curriculum designer for the acquisition lab is joking with me. And she's like, I think I'm on one of these lists because they always call me. 
they call me like she goes every month I get some MBA student they're calling me they're asking for my husband for some reason she's like I don't know why I guess they think he's uh, owns the company they ask for my husband and then they and then they want to buy the company you know and they're you know whatever and they're just like dude like no um but the, but the thing is is like is they really emphasize this proprietary deal flow. And so, um, but the thing is, is that like the searchers pretty quickly start their search by reaching out to brokers. Then they turn to proprietary deal flow because they think that's where the magic is hiding. In my opinion, it's not. Okay. And you're going to spend 90 to 99% of your time doing proprietary work for your investors, but you're really going to get the deal through a broker. That's every conversation. Yeah. And honestly, just to just completely validate exclamation point, highlight underneath that is that the number one reason this show and my company exists is because no one really understands this shit. And so then the proprietary deal flow is going to be meeting with 17 walkers who think their company's worth 10 million and it's doing 50 grand in SDE. And yeah. it's like, well, how much is my company worth? It's it, weird. It's exactly your retirement number. <laughs> and so yeah, like, that's right. That's right. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> But so, so, so to answer your question about like, why are brokers getting more intense? Here's my thing. I, I think it's probably because the, mar- the, the market is growing up a little bit. It's going from mm-hmm. the wild west to getting on the map. Okay. Mm-hmm. And number two, you have all of these like self-funded searchers that are just blasting out, mm-hmm. you know, like, like everyone in the world saying like, Hey, like, I just bought the CRM and I, and I want to look at all of your deals. And then the brokers are like, wait a minute. I, I like I thought we were working with like a like a funded dude and it turns out like you have no money and now I look like a moron to my seller because I don't know what I'm doing. What's a search fund? You know, you know, and, and then like so now they're like, okay, well here, let's uh, you know, boom, boom, boom. I you know, I would I would imagine mm-hmm. it's probably reacting. That, that makes a bunch of sense. Yeah, getting yeah. humbled by people that want to make cash. Yeah. Dude, this is this has been so much fun. And I was uh yeah, I was super excited because like this, you know, and to get this this whole world is it like these like I said at the beginning this has all exploded in the last five years I mean people oh yeah like the category created and then look at the look at the flavors you just described that have happened yeah. in the last four or five years I, I would say I, like I would go on a limb and say it exploded in the last uh, four years when Biden both came out <laughs> <laughs> and the hardcover release is out or one, one, yes, yes, you know, what, yes. The, what, I have two questions. One is you tell everybody where to find you, the book reviews, buy it, whatever you want to go for. It. Sure. So, so um, the week this is launching, we are, um, thank you, Ryan, for that. We're, we're launching the hardcover edition, which is just super fun. Something I always wanted to do. Um, and to celebrate in a weird twist of fate, we're making the ebook 99 cents <laughs> for one week. <laughs> and we're having the hardcover launch, but you can go ahead and get your digital version. <laughs> uh, like I said, your sarcastic sense of humor, man. This is like, it's, it's, it's mine. I love it. And I kind of did, I kind of did it on purpose because it's sort of like when I watched the book, the publisher was like, well, listen, dude, like, you know, like, like, you know, most books only sell like, you know, it's something like most books sell like maybe 200 copies during their entire lifetime. Did you know oh, that? Oh, nice. Uh, yeah. You know, mm-hmm. I feel like I heard that stat because there was some other stat about musicians and like how many downloaded songs and it's yeah, like it's the Pareto principle. It's like the 5% get all the, yeah. So and you're, let me guess yours was not that. <laughs> well, well, so he said, so, so he said like, look, if your book's successful, feel free to come back and, you know, let's do a hardcover launch. And so, um, I've been like, 41 months consecutive bestseller on Amazon. I've been, you know, it's been adopted into a half a dozen universities and, wow, I, and we just cool. sold 50,000 copies, you know? And I'm like, dude, like it's time to, it's time. And he's like, okay. 
And then I was like, okay, I want to discount it for launch week. And he goes, okay. And he showed me the numbers and I was like, oh God, like I'm going to have to like subsidize. <laughs> like, like it's, it's really expensive to make hardcovers. I knew this, right. But, but like, but like, I didn't understand how expensive they did were. Did you own a book publishing company? I did. I did yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry to like loop that back in there. Yeah, I know. I know. But, the, but the, so the obvious thing was like, well, okay, let's launch it because like, I want it. Gosh, darn it. But, but secondly, it's sort of my, like my, my, my acceptance into like, real authors category right but then like i was like well then i want to discount the ebook so everyone can just buy it for cheap <laughs> i love so, it man um, and, and yeah. it's i i remember I, I absolutely remember i was on a mexico vacation with my wife and i i bet you i highlighted the whole damn book it was just like i loved it man it was it's and i truly sent it out to specifically a lot of people around our age because i'm like guys like guys and gals, whoever, like, if you want to truly make wealth, I mean, like you can go work for someone. It's, it's something yeah. that I think everybody needs to move and push up forward because uh, it's like, there's not enough buyers, right? I mean, like you and I were really? talking about that. We need more people that are younger that are saying, Hey, I'm willing to do this for the whole yeah. economy. And, and what's really funny is that like, I think it's like 1% of all MBA students are turning into this search fund deal of the one of the MBA programs that have introduced it. Okay. Mm -hmm. And most MBA students even now are getting interested to in, introduce this concept in their last semester. Like, and they're like, and they're going the second half of their last semester. And they're like, Oh my gosh. And then, and then like 1% of them are converting. And if you take all the MBA students nationwide and you take 1% and convert them into search funds, it outranks the number of private equity firms in our country. Yeah. Cause what is it like 7,000 or 8,000 like, private, private equity? Sure. I did, I did a presentation a yeah. year ago and I ran the numbers. I'm sorry, but, the, but it's really interesting to sort of see like, wow, like as this rolls out and gets adopted, you know, the number of buyers that we need is, it's just kind of interesting. It's going to be much larger than private equity by sheer. Volume, That's awesome, dude. Right? And, yeah. and uh, before we wrap up here to it, cause I, I have two of the last questions. One is that, that the cohort, that you want to, I don't know if, cause people that are like searching and looking for companies to end up tuning into this quite a bit too. So I don't know if you want to give a little bit of uh, an overview of your cohort. Oh, sure. cohort that okay. you so, yeah. I mean, let, let me explain it like this, like, like I want to be really clear about this, but you know, it's, it's really like people read by then build. I went on with my life. I'm running my companies. I'm doing some brokering work. People started coming up to me and saying like, Hey, would you help me like find and buy a business? And I'm like, no dude. Like that's like, <laughs> oh, no way. Like, like that is so hard. Like I was like, I'm going to have to charge you like 125 grand a year to work with you. You're, I don't know if you're actually going to buy anything. Right. So, so I was like, okay, how do I like unpack this? Like, how do I, how do I help people actually do it? And, you know, we, we anchored in world-class education, which I then went and taught, um, at business schools and then came back and iterated and made it better for, awesome. you know, um, we have a vetted community. So, um, 25% of applicants are accepted. Uh, we've got resources, tools, um, and then we have um, an excessive amount of, of group coaching and consulting. That, so it's, we, it's, we created the acquisition lab, and that's what that's what we run. That's awesome, man. And um, hopefully, yeah. you know, people that are listening, if it, whether they're looking to join something like that because they want to buy or they're looking to find a quality person that they they gravitate towards this type of an exit, I think yeah. it's something that's super awesome, man. Last question for you. Yeah. The word intentional, it's the name of the podcast. I love hearing what people's definition is. I don't know if you if you knew that I asked people this, but I love to know what people is their definition of the word intention is. I've now got like Walker, I've got like it's probably a hundred and some people's definition of this word. Wow. And I love wow. it. And so 
I know I didn't prep you with this, but do you know, or what would the, what does the word intentional mean for you? Okay. The word intent is actually included in letter of intent, which is the LOI. And what it means in that context is that based on what you are presenting to me and assuming that is true, I am interested in acquiring these assets and my, and, uh, my, my intention is to acquire these assets for this many dollars at these terms. Right. <laughs> I, love it. I love it, man. That's awesome. In, I in love it. Words, yeah. In other words, it would, it would, I think that, I think I would base, I would base it on that. It would say based on the information that I have right now, my intention is to execute this in the near future. And so we're walking that path together. Ooh, that's good, man, dude. Thank you so much for coming back on the show, Walker. I love hanging out with you. Yeah, Ryan, this is this has been a lot of fun. It's uh, it's been too long. We should we should uh, hang out more, not on podcasts. Like I feel like our there's a Venn diagram where where we party and uh, yes, and, and then then that's where we can actually get the PG filter off of our vocabulary. <laughs> Hell yeah, <laughs> and we're off. <laughs> Thanks for tuning in. I really hope you enjoyed that episode. I had a blast, as you can tell. I I know Walker and I could have gone on for hours. And I hope you learned a lot about this new business buyer that has really just exploded in growth over the last handful of years. And you can start keeping your eye out. Whether you're looking to buy a company, there's a lot of different ways to grab the equity and go about finding a company. But also, if you're getting uh, your door knocked on, you have the ability to then discern the different types of acquisition entrepreneurs, but also how to differentiate them from other private equity firms and other business buyers. If you want to check out the Intentional Growth Bootcamp, the live one that's in November on the 2nd and 3rd at Bethel University, go check it out at Arcona.io. We only have a few spots left. Uh, we cap out the room at 20, and there's a lot of uh, wonderful people that have already registered. So go check out the agenda and RSVP and uh, grab your spot if you're ready for it. Everybody, I appreciate you so much for tuning in, and I'm looking forward to seeing you next week when we are going to be diving into strategic buyers.